uh, we want to dive into the text this morning. And so if you will open your Bibles there to Ephesians chapter 1, we are actually going to finish the chapter uh, this morning. And uh, you'll remember, uh, we're going to pick up here at verse 15. And you'll remember that we had gone through uh, this section here, verses 3 through 14. That is one long, continuous run-on sentence in the Greek. And so right here before verse 15, this is the first time that Paul is coming up for air, okay? You ever experienced this where you've just been like talking, 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 and then you realize you forgot to take a breath and you have to, <gasps> you know what I'm talking about? Okay, come on, show me. Uh, let's, let's do this. Demonstrate for me. How do you gasp for breath when you've had a run-on sentence? Everybody try it. Go ahead. All right, now we're ready for verse 15. Here we go. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So here's what's going on. Apparently, Paul got a news update. He got a report from the church here in Ephesus about how God was working in and through the church. And what does he, what does he see there, verse 15? Here's what he heard. Uh, I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. That's his vertical, their, their vertical relationship with God and your love toward all the saints. That's the horizontal application. That's their faith in action. They're starting to see fruit. So when Paul got news, he got this update, this report from this church about how God was at work. You know what he did? Verse 16, he prays. And so that's actually what we're going to do this morning. And I'm going to ask Nate, would you just come on up here uh, we're so excited um, to let them come and share. He is coming all the way from uh, Malaysia, and um, they have, he is the pastor there of Harvest Bible Chapel in uh, Kuala Lumpur, and I have asked him uh, to come and share. And, and I got to tell you, last night um, we were having dinner with them, and uh, just hearing some of the stories about how God is at work there, um, it's kind of overwhelming. It's, and I was just so fired up. So I asked them. They came, uh, they were with Harvest Annapolis last week, just about an hour away. And they spent some time with some of the other Harvest uh, pastors in um, Phoenix this week. And so they get a chance to be with us. And I think you, were, you had preached here, what, two, two and a half years ago? So long before I got here. Some of you have their prayer card on your refrigerator. So here's your update. You ready? So I've asked them to kind of share a little bit about them and what God is doing. So thanks for coming, man. Absolutely. Thanks, Jeff. Well, good morning, Harvest Fairfax. It's good to be with you all the way from the other side of the world. And uh, we're here because we want to give you a little bit of an update of what's going on uh, at Harvest Bible Chapel Kuala Lumpur. Uh, that's in the country of Malaysia. You can look, at, look that up later. Nobody ever knows where that is, by the way. And um, so we're, uh, we're glad to be able to share just a little bit about uh, how God's been working there. And really, I hope uh, that this uh, encourages you. I hope it fires you up a little bit for the Lord, for what you're doing right here in Fairfax. Um, I think that's such an important thing that we're not just thinking about what's going on on the other side of the world, um, but really what's going on in our neighborhoods as well. Excuse me. And so um, I want to share just a little bit. So uh, I'm uh, married to Marie. This is my lovely wife of 17 years. And uh, we have three kids. Uh, Josiah is 13. Uh, Ella is 11. And Aaron is 6. And uh, we, uh, we moved to uh, KL uh, two years ago. It was January 1st, 2015. And, um, and uh, so our family has adjusted well to that. That's always one of the questions. Um, my kids actually eat the food, and, um, and we actually enjoy living in the city. And uh, it's 92 and humid all year round. Uh, that's also, I'm trying to think of the questions that everybody always asks. And, um, and uh, we love living in the city. It's a, 
It's an alpha city in the world. Uh, Kuala Lumpur is a, is a place that is growing in influence, uh, particularly in Southeast Asia, but really kind of on a worldwide scheme. Uh, There's 7.2 million people that live in the city, and um, mo most of them need to know Jesus. And so that's why we're there. And um, so we moved there two years ago uh, to a church that was transitioning. It, it actually was a church that started in 2004. Uh, it was called the Bridge International Church, and they had been through uh, some significant trials. And so um, they had looked to Harvest, um, asking for help, and Harvest said, yeah, we'll, we'll find somebody to send to you there. Um, and ultimately, the Lord led us to that. And, um, and so two years ago, we arrived on the ground to a church that was hurting very much. Uh, their pastor had been murdered, and uh, so they were, they were in turmoil because of that. Uh, the transition was very difficult for them um, in the midst of that. And a, a church that really was beginning to stray from the Word of God is ultimately what we found. And, uh, and so we uh, have been work, working hard for the last two years to really encourage and help and grow this church to a place of, uh, where it can solidly move forward in, in the things that the Lord has called us to. And so uh, we feel like the Lord has done that. And, um, and, and there's still things to be done, don't hear that wrong, but that we're at a place where we're, we're able to step forward a little bit into, into some things that God is calling us to. And so uh, we're really looking forward to the next couple of years uh, for what God may uh, do through us, through the things that we're trying to be positioned in, in that. And, uh, and so... Um, uh, I, I, miss, I missed one thing I was going to say earlier. Um, we're a church of about 200 people um, from 30 different countries. Um, and so we're a, a diverse church, kind of like yours in that sense. And um, the thing that brings us together is Jesus in English. And uh, we all speak English there. And uh, that, that uh, is what is able to communicate well there. I sometimes pray for the gift of tongues, Jeff. Um, <laughs> it, uh, but, but English is going to have to do for now. And um, so we, um, we're excited for that. But um, as we look to the future, some of the things that are coming, um, we're excited about what the Lord has done in this church. This church is um, unique in the fact that there's so many different uh, people who have contacts throughout the world and, uh, and who, uh, who really have opportunities uh, to, to advance the gospel in a lot of different parts of the world. And so we have started this little uh, kind of stepping out initiative that we're calling Advance the Gospel. And in that, we are, we are just uh, recognizing that where God has placed us, uh, we need to steward that well. And, um, and so we want to uh, really step into some of the things that are going on there. And so I want to tell you just a quick story. Um, I have a friend named Sam. Uh, Sam is from Iran. I think we have a picture of him. I'll get out of the way. Sam is a refugee from Iran. He fled Iran about eight years ago. And uh, at that point, he was an atheist and uh, strongly uh, believed uh, that God did not, not exist. And so when he was offered to get together with a pastor uh, to uh, talk, about, uh, talk about Jesus Christ, he said, yes, I'm gonna there's no way. I'm going to convince him that he's wrong. And he showed up to convince the pastor that he was wrong and turned his life over to Jesus. And, um, and Sam since has grown in this faith. He leads one of our uh, small groups. He leads the Iranian ministry in our church. And uh, God has gifted him uh, not only to teach the word, but just given him opportunities that are really unique. And so we have uh, we have Sam right now. Uh, he has a Facebook page that has 25,000 followers from Azerbaijan, Iran, and Afghanistan, all who speak Farsi. And uh, it's an amazing gospel witness. It's not just about the numbers on there. Like, there is an amazing gospel witness that's going out from that particular thing. People are just starving to hear about this Jesus uh, in these countries. And so we're uh, using Sam for that. And then Sam also, uh, I'm his research assistant. Uh, we get together, and right now we're teaching through the book of John. Uh, Sam teaches. This is actually the picture of him. Uh, recording a teaching that's going to be broadcast into Iran on satellite TV. 
and uh, there's uh, a state TV uh, there that is on satellite, and uh, there's all sorts of um, uh, religious teaching that goes on there, and there's a group that said, we want solid Bible teaching, and they know Sam, and they know Sam is a great teacher, and so uh, they asked him to do that. So every week I get together with Sam, we go through a section of the Gospel of John, he then preaches it on, t- uh, on TV into Iran, which is an amazing thing. Uh, with that, kind of the guy in the dark right here is a man from Yemen who just came to know the Lord uh, through some people in our church as well. And so I have a Yemeni, Yemenis uh, former journalist uh, who's running the behind-the-scenes stuff for the video, and then Sam from Iran preaching the gospel into Iran. Um, it's really an amazing thing. And, and that's just a little bit of a story just to say, like, we're not like, like let's go take that hill. That, that we're really, what we're trying to do is let's be responsible with the things the Lord has given to us uh, to steward and to manage. And this is just one example. Uh, my wife is going to the country of Brunei uh, in April. Um, we have a translation project going on that is going to uh, translate into Farsi as well. And, um, and a number of other things that are just amazing and unique. And because KL is such a crazy, wild, everybody comes together from all over the world type of place, we have a church that has these types of opportunities. And so we're trying to advance the gospel through this. And uh, that's why we've set up this little uh, campaign. If you want to know more about that, there's a website. Actually, we have uh, a little brochure, I think, is on the tables around here where you can get the information for that. And uh, if you want to get a a monthly email about that, I know... A lot of people don't want to get a monthly email, but if you do want to get a monthly email about this, uh, you can sign up for that as well, and we'll make sure that we keep you up to date on the things that are going on in that regard. And so that's a little bit about where we've been, uh, a little bit about where we're going. Um, We're excited for that. Um, So uh, we'd love to have you continue to pray for our church in that, pray for our family in that. Um, There's been lots of battles that have taken place to be able to get us to this place, um, but we're trusting the Lord for what's going to happen in the future as well. Nate, can you tell us just uh, quickly, can you just kind of give us some things that we could specifically just be praying for as a church as we're praying for you guys yeah. and for what God's doing there? Absolutely. So um, we always, when, whenever that question comes up, I'm always like, pray for my kids. Um, they go to an amazing academic school. It's an international school, but it's a godless place um, that is kind of like a university environment when it comes to religious types of things. And so um, just pray for our kids in that. Um, they, we still see them being influencers, not being influenced, but... Uh, we know that that's something that is significant, and, and uh, that's all our, our heartbeat as well in that. And then for our church, um, we'd love to have you just pray for, um, pray for the discipleship of our church just as, they, as we continue to grow together and, and really a maturing of our faith. We recognize that we have some awesome opportunities that I just shared with you, but um, we also recognize that we need to grow, uh, grow in who we are and what our understanding is and how that goes and uh, so we'd love for you to pray for that. And then obviously, uh, as we seek to advance the gospel, there's a number, number of things you can pray for there as well. Yeah, praise God. Well, listen, um, this is such a unique opportunity. Um, God has placed them. Do, do we have that picture? Do we, do we have the picture? Like, the, did it work? Do we have the map? Did, do we have that? I totally skipped by the map. I apologize oh, this is for awesome. that too. Can you just like <laughs> share why that's significant? Yep. So uh, KL... Uh, Harvest has 157 churches around the world, but look, most of them are on the left-hand side of the map. And uh, Kuala Lumpur is over in this circle over here. And uh, it's actually this dot right down here. And, uh, and it's interesting, the Washington Post actually published a number of years ago, uh, more people live inside that circle than outside of the circle. So if you're going to go and make disciples of the nations, that circle's kind of important. 52% of the world lives inside of that particular circle right there. And so we just see, strategically, we're located right in the middle of 52% of the world's population. And, uh, and we desperately want 
them to know Jesus. And, uh, and that's why we uh, believe that it's important that we continue to plant some churches there. There's a church in, in, in Chennai, India. There's about 10 churches up in Nepal. Um, but we could plant churches for the rest of our lives and the rest of your kids' lives and not have enough churches in that part of the world. And, uh, and so we're, we're desperately reaching out in that particular way. Yeah, I hope that you guys get a sense of this. It's just kind of incredible how God has placed them right in a strategic location. And plus, it's such a diverse city, and the main language is English, so we wouldn't even have any language barrier. I don't know. We don't even know. I just got to be honest with you. We don't know what God is doing, but he's stirring our hearts. And um, Nate and Nate and Marie had been on staff with Harvest Lancaster, uh, which wasn't Harvest at the time, but now Harvest Lancaster, and, and have a connection. They were in the training center with uh, Pastor Dan Hammer there, in Annapolis, and so we just have this connection, and God is doing something, so we want to pray. We don't know what it's going to look like, but God is doing some amazing things there, and we're praying that he would work mightily for the advancement of his gospel. When we get a report like this, does this not fire you up? He is doing some incredible things around the world, and what should be our response? We got to hit our knees, guys, and we got to pray that God is going to work, so here's what we're going to do. Um, can we pray? Would you stand with me and... Um, Why don't we do this? I'll let you guys go on down because I want uh, everyone to pray with you too. Would you do this? Would you find just a couple people around you? And we're just going to pray for them. And I know we do this a lot around here. Maybe you're sitting here like, that's kind of weird. I feel a little awkward. That's okay. We're not asking you to pray out loud necessarily if you don't feel comfortable with it. But we believe firmly in the power of prayer. So would you surround them and just find a couple people around you, two to four people, and would you just pray that God is going to work, work in our church and work in this church there in Kuala Lumpur and and pray for their family as well. God is doing amazing things. So let's find some people and let's just spend a moment just praying together. Father, we love what you are doing in our church, that you are working here, and we thank you that you are working around the world. So we're praying that you are going to do amazing things. God, would you continue to spread your glory around the world? Lord, I pray for the protection of uh, Pastor Nate and Marie and their children. We pray for the protection of their church. I know that there is spiritual warfare that is going on there. We pray that you would, uh, Lord, guard them, but Lord, give them favor. Let them be lights and grow this church. And thank you for that promise that 
You are building your church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And we just thank you for that. Would, would you empower them and let us see you at work for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, you can find your seats and let's get back into our text this morning. Thank you so much for doing that. Uh, just so good to hear how God is working. But uh, Paul got this report and it, it led him to pray here. So uh, the end of chapter one, he's just finishing this prayer. He's going to do it again in end of chapter three. But what's interesting is that he's not asking for prayer requests. He he doesn't go to them and he's like, hey guys, can you just tell me what I should be praying for? Instead, he starts telling them what uh, he's going to be praying for them. And so here it is. Let's look at this again. Uh, Verse 17. Let me give a running start. Verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Paul's like, here's what I'm praying for. Okay, here it is, the basic prayer request, verse 17, that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Do you know that you need God to give that to you? Do you know that you can't know God unless he gives you that spirit of wisdom and revelation? Unless God reveals himself to you. And Paul's just saying, man, I want God to do that in you so that, verse 18, you would have the eyes of your heart enlightened. That is a weird mental picture, and I'm really glad it's not literal. I mean, can you just imagine the doctor that's performing open heart surgery and, and all of a sudden he's like a set of eyes that are staring up at him? Like, that's super creepy and weird. That's obviously not what it means. When he's saying, I want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened, the, that the heart is the inner man. So what he's saying is, I, I, like, at the core of who you are, I don't want you to just have some head knowledge about some facts about God. I want your core, who you are. I want you to know him uh, so that your heart is enlightened. It has this idea of bringing something to the light so you actually see. Now think about this. How many of you are praying for somebody right now that you know has a, uh, a head knowledge about God? Like they, they know facts about God, but they do not know God. They don't see him as Savior. You know, you're praying for somebody like that? Well, that's what Paul's praying for here. He's praying that God is going to reveal himself, that he would open your eyes so that you can see. And the result, verse 18, is that you may know. God wants us to see so that we know and understand, and he's going to show us some things that are already true. And what is it? We've said this here. We're in the book of Ephesians, and the book of Ephesians is kind of like a mirror, okay? We're looking, I know this, I, I, I switch sides, so those of you who are over here, you get to stare at yourselves uh, the whole time, okay? I know that's kind of uh, awkward, uh, but we're looking into the mirror of God's Word, and it's showing us this is who we are, and when we look into this, what is it that we see? Well, remember, um, 
this phrase that kept getting repeated over and over and over again, the contents of this mirror are in Christ. What he's saying is, I want you to see who you are in Jesus, and he makes all the difference. So if you're taking notes this morning, here's your big idea. God reveals himself so we can see. God reveals himself so we can see. And we see a few things here. But we're going to see, here's here's one. Um, We can see our hope in Christ. We can see our hope in Christ. We see this verse 18. He says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you or uh, more literally the hope of his calling. So we've kind of already looked at this. Okay, Paul's um, already said this in his intro. What, what we, we have hope. We know that we have hope. We looked at this last week. And why do we have hope? Because we are called. Because we're called. Now, what, what does that word call mean? We throw that around a lot, right? Like, I, I feel like I have a call or, or I received the call or you missed your calling in life. We kind of throw that word around. But what, what, what do we mean by that? Well, biblically, we're not talking about some subjective feeling We're talking about a historic reality. This has happened in your life. And what is it that's happened? It's that God chose you. He called you to be his own. He picked you out. He said, hey, I want you in my family. I want you and you. You belong to me. What he's doing is he's pointing back to their adoption and their election, as what he said in verses 4 and 5, so that they would have hope for the days ahead. So the truth that gives us hope for the future is what God has already done in our past. And Paul's just saying, I I just want you to see this so you don't miss it. And I know we've spent a considerable amount of time looking at this, but apparently Paul thinks this is so foundational for us that we would have hope because God has called us, he has chosen us, he has adopted us as sons. Why? Because he loves us. And so we of all people have hope. We heard from Pastor James McDonald last week that hope is the confident expectation of better days ahead. You know that? Hey, church, do you know that we have some awesome days ahead of us? I've shared with you my affinity for uh, C.S. Lewis and his writings. And I think I've actually shared with this, with this with you before. Uh, but um, this last year, we just uh, finished reading The Chronicles of Narnia with our children. And I just love how he ends all of these stories, okay? There's a lot of metaphors in here, and it, and it uh, has parallels to our Christian life. And when he gets to the, the final book, which, quite frankly, is the darkest book, there's a lot, it's almost depressing when you read it, until they get into Aslan's country, until they get into heaven. And, and here they are at the very end of it, in the last book, on the last page, while they're here experiencing the glories of heaven. This is how Lewis ends it. He says, and for us... This is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world, all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page, and now at last, They were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and which every chapter is better than the one before. Church, do you know what we have coming? We have a glorious hope. We have a hope that this world, they do not understand. 
Can they see it on your face? Do they hear it in your voice? Do they sense that you have this glorious future and you're excited and hopeful in it? And that doesn't mean that you won't have dark days while you're here. And it doesn't mean that you just have to pretend like everything's okay while you're suffering. But the gospel gives us a confident hope that no amount of suffering can crush. Only in Christ can you stare evil in the face, unblinking, because as Paul says, these light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond comparison. Hey, church, we have awesome days ahead of us. Do you see it? Can, can you see your hope in Christ? We can see our hope in Christ, and then we also see this. We can see our value in Christ. We see our value in Christ. Here, uh, verse 18, he says, I want you to know what is the hope to which he has called you, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, that's kind of a, a tricky phrase, and it, and it really uh, could be referring to our inheritance that we have in Christ, because we are, remember, we are adopted sons, we are co-heirs with Christ, and so we have a rich inheritance coming to us. That is so true, and that's reason for hope. Uh, but uh, it, the text could also be accurately interpreted, and in fact, some commentators argue that it's actually a more valid interpretation, that this is not referring to our inheritance, but God's inheritance. And what is, what is God's inheritance? Well, it's us. You know that? We, the saints, are God's inheritance. And that's not inconsistent with the rest of Scripture. Uh, in fact, in the, in the Old Testament, God's people were frequently seen as His inheritance. In fact, you can see this one on the screen. Psalm 106, uh, the psalmist is praying this. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. That's God's people. Deuteronomy 32, he says, the Lord's portion is his people. And then in the New Testament, this is extended to us as his church, because in Christ, God has made us his own. Titus chapter 2, verse 14, he says, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself for himself, a people for his own possession. And Peter agrees with that. In 1 Peter chapter 2, 9, he also refers to us as God's possession. It's Christ has redeemed us. He has purified us so that we could be his. He has ransomed us. Peter says we are bought with the precious blood of Christ. So we belong to him. And I want you to see this one, John chapter 17. Uh, this is Christ's high priestly prayer. Right before he goes to the cross, Jesus is praying to his Father. And, and let me show you this. He says, um, all mine are yours, and yours are mine. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world will know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Because you loved me before the foundation of the world, I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Kind of a crazy uh, a, a, a concept here, but here's what's going on. God the Father loves his Son. And if we are in Christ, then the love of the Father is in us 
and we belong to him. Our identity is found in him. He chose us. He bought us. He loves us. We are his inheritance. We are his possession. God treasures us. And you know what that means? We are valued by God. But here's what this doesn't mean, okay? This doesn't mean that we're supposed to look into that mirror and, and, and look at ourselves and be like, man, I am awesome, okay? Like we mistakenly uh, get our, think that our value is tied to ourselves. And, and uh, I've shared with you, this is kind of that uh, fluffy snowflake theology that I warned you about. Remember that? Like, like, just like no two snowflakes are alike, so there's nobody quite like you. You're so unique and you're so beautiful that God was compelled to die for you and he loves you because you're so lovely and lovable. And I'm just telling you, that concept, that message is foreign to the gospel and it spits in the face of grace. And I kind of hear this on Christian radio a lot right now that, that I must be someone worth dying for. You know the problem with that, right? The problem is that in, in my sinful heart, I have so much pride in here. I love to puff up my own self-worth. And so I can hear this message that I am treasured, that I am loved by God. And instead of falling on my knees in humility, I might think of myself more highly than I ought to think, Romans 12.3. I might be filled with pride in this. It's kind of the foolishness of uh, cat and dog theology. You know this, right? A dog uh, looks at its owner and thinks, you shelter me, you love me, you feed me, you take care of me, you must be God. But a cat says, you shelter me, you feed me, you take care of me, you love me, I must be God. There's no room for pride here, okay? There's no room for pride because God chose us, as we already saw earlier, he chose us in him. Because if God's love for you is rooted in who you are as opposed to who he is, then you are constantly going to be struggling with your identity and feeling worthless when you don't measure up. God loves you and you are his. And that value is not tied to your person. And praise God, it's not tied to your performance. And praise God, it's not tied to my performance. I, um, I brought with me some artwork that we had on our refrigerator this is, uh, my, my youngest daughter, JC, drew this. This is a picture of her and mommy, and um, I love this. I'm not trying to, like, uh, criticize her, but uh, clearly, I am not entering this in any kind of uh, art contest. Um, we're not going to sell this and make money off of it, and, and, and quite frankly, I'm really glad that this is not how my wife looks. Um, she is the most beautiful woman in the world uh, and, and I'm glad that this is not an accurate depiction, but uh, we don't throw this away. It may not be worth a lot, but we don't throw this away because it has value to us. Why? Because I love her. Not because she's awesome at drawing, okay? She doesn't have to up her game with the crayons in order for me to value her. She is important to me, and I love her, and that is not dependent on her performance in art class. And so we don't earn God's favor either. We don't become valuable in his eyes because of our performance. Hey, 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 why, why do we have value? Why does God value us? Because we're in Christ. And Christ is supremely valuable. That's why. 
God loves his son. And of course he does because he's the greatest thing in the universe. And we were ransomed with the precious blood of Jesus. So your value is tied to who you are in Christ. That's where we find our identity. And so think with me what the, uh, the ramifications of this is. This means that you can stop trying to find your sense of value and importance in, your sen- in yourself. As I'm telling you, if, if that's where you're looking, you're, you're just going to be trapped by the opinions of others. And maybe shy and, and, and um, afraid to open up because you're afraid of what other people might think. Or boisterous and outgoing and, and, and like the center of attention because you need people to like you and enjoy you or you arrogantly put people down, put them in your place so you elevate yourself. Man, you will search for praise and, and you'll struggle when you don't get praise and, and you will be crushed under the weight of expectations and disappointment. I'm telling you, that's, that's a hopeless way to live. That's living in darkness. And listen, we don't live in the darkness anymore. We can see. We see our hope in Christ. That you don't have to maintain a persona. You don't have to maintain some performance in front of everybody. You don't always have to be the smart one in the room. You don't always have to be the funny one. You don't always have to be the strong one. You don't always have to be right. You don't always have to have it all together or look the part or be the center of attention. Your value is not tied to your person or your performance and you don't have to earn his acceptance. He loves you and you are his treasure, his inheritance because you're in Christ. Do you see his grace? Do you see his grace there? That in love he predestined us for adoption as sons to the praise of his glorious grace. Church, I'm telling you, if we get this, there's so much freedom here. There's so much freedom here. And we will fall on our knees. I'm just thinking about Christ and how valuable, how supreme he is. And what happens is we become a church, if we get a hold of this, if we see ourselves in Christ, we will truly be a church that lifts high the name of Jesus and worships and adores him. We will love him and long to be like him. Can you see our value in Christ? What happens is the more we look into this mirror and we see who we are in Christ, we actually will see less of us. We'll see more of Jesus. I'm not awesome. He is. We have hope. We have value in Christ. And then we can also see this. We see His power in Christ. We see His power in Christ. Verse 19, he says, uh, I want you to also know what is the immeasurable greatness of His power. And now, I just love these words uh, that, that Paul uses to describe God's power, okay? So, so he's using a few descriptives so, so that you'll get a bigger view of this. He says, the immeasurable greatness. That immeasurable is actually the same word that Paul uses in chapter 3, verse 19, uh, to describe the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And in fact, uh, I have demonstrated this word for you before. That was the first text that I ever preached here uh, at, at Harvest Fairfax. And, and I don't know if you remember this, uh, but I demonstrated this by throwing a football over your head. You remember that? That was a really bad choice because I think it like hit a step and started bouncing back, almost nailed somebody in the head. I would never have been able to come here. So praise God that embarrassment didn't happen. And, and I've gotten a little bit older and wiser not going to do that this morning. But you get the idea, right? That's the idea of this word. It's going to surpass. It throws over. It exceeds. You can't measure it. That's how great this is. And and then this word greatness here, uh, I want to share this with you, not because I want to impress you, but just I thought it was so cool. I'm like, how could I not share this? The Greek word here for greatness is megathos. 
Is that not a fantastic word for this? Uh, It's the only time that it's used in the New Testament and it describes God's power. And and I love Paul's just stacking words on top of one another so you get the idea of his power. It's this immeasurably great, we're talking megathos great. That's the kind of power that we're looking at here. And, And notice verse 19, that power is toward us who believe. That means that power is available for us. And Paul is praying that we will see it. It's far too often we live like we're powerless in the church. See, in Ephesians, we're, we're, we're seeing who we are in Christ and how we should then live. But sometimes we just struggle uh, living out who we are in Christ. And we know that we have an enemy who fights against us and stands in opposition to the values of Christ's kingdom. So here's our problem. We have a really weak flesh and we have a strong enemy. Now we need some power. Can you see the power in Christ? Can you see his power? Well, um, I, we, we, have a, uh, we have a vacuum cleaner in our house that has one of those uh, buttons on the top. You can step on it and it turns off the roller brush. You know what I'm talking about? And, 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 and the reason you do that is so that you can go over like um, hardwood floor surfaces so that it doesn't like scratch the floor or so that the Legos that you run over don't like shoot out and impale somebody. So, so it's kind of a helpful little uh, gadget there. But sometimes I'll be like vacuuming the floor and I'm like, nothing's coming. Like, why isn't this working? It's just not sucking anything up. It's like a weak sauce vacuum cleaner. And then I realize like, oh yeah, I, f- I forgot to, I got to turn the roller brush back on. And as soon as I do, now we've got some power. Who's there? As if I wasn't using it. And so that's what Paul's wanting us to see. I I want you to see the power of Christ that is available for you because if you don't see it, you're not going to use it and you're going to live in fear and you're going to live in failure. Yes, you have a weak flesh. Yes, you have a strong enemy. But can you see your power in Christ? Can you see that? Then look at verse 19. He he describes this at the end. Uh, This power is according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. We're talking about resurrection power. He has victory over death. Why would we ever think that he can't give us victory over sin? He's conquered sin and death. Why would we struggle with this? His power is available for your obedience. Because now that I've experienced his grace, I love Christ, I want to live for him, and and he empowers me, and he he shows you, this is the way, Isaiah 30, he says, this is the way, walk in it. And and the only way I'm going to be able to do that is if I am in Christ. I'm experiencing his power. Can I ask you, what, just think for just a minute, what what is the area of sin that you're struggling with right now? Just take a moment and let God kind of bring that to mind. Some of you don't have to think very hard. Sometimes the sting of your constant failure is like an ever-present weight, right? You feel this, you sense that. Well, what area in your life is not pleasing to Christ right now? You, you feel that conviction? Can I just encourage you guys? Listen, you already know that you have hope. And that your value is in Christ apart from your performance. But I know you want to see victory in that area as well. So would you just do this? Begin right now. Just pray what Paul's praying. God, I want to see the power that is available for me. 
this resurrection power that you have conquered sin and death, would you do that in me? Forgive me of my sin. I want to walk in that power. I'm telling you, you're going to start to experience that resurrection victory. He's making you more like His Son, transforming you into the image of Christ. So He has raised Him from the dead. And He also says, verse 20, that He seated Him uh, at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also into the one to come. So here is some sovereign power. Listen, God rules and He has no equal that even comes close to challenging Him. So it really doesn't matter how big or how strong or how scary your enemies are, Christ is over them all. And this is going to have some massive implications once we get to the end of this letter in chapter 6 when Paul calls us to stand firm in the armor of God against the schemes of the devil. He's like, listen, I'm totally aware that you have a, a, a powerful enemy. It's just not a problem. Because Satan's power is nothing compared to the immeasurable greatness of the power of Christ. There's just no need to fear. And he also put all things under his feet, verse 22. And he gave him as head over all things to the church. So th this is crazy. Uh, what Jesus is doing in and through his power and sovereign rule is for us. It's to the church. That Christ's power is working in and through his church. So don't underestimate what God is doing in Harvest Bible Chapel in Fairfax. And I know that our little church here may not seem uh, like much compared to the grand scheme of the cosmos, but Paul's trying to like, help us understand, like, actually, if you could only see what God is doing. And we believe that this church can have significant eternal impact because God has given Christ to this church. And he is working here. So, God has given us a mission. And our sights, as we've even seen this morning, love this. Our sights are on the nations. Every corner of creation. Every culture. And this sovereign Lord who is exalted over everything is filling us with power to carry out his purpose here on earth. And there is no doubt who gets the victory. Can you see his power? And then he says that the church is the fullness of Him who fills all in all. So the church, filled by Christ, fills all creation as representatives of Christ. What an, what an incredible vision of the church. This is who we are. Hey, Harvest, this is who we are in Christ. So we're not going to shrink. We're not going to hide. We're not going to cower in fear or defeat. We used to be those who lived in darkness and we were uh, kind of no hope, tossed back and forth in confusion in search of our significance, kind of afraid of opposition and, and feeling hopeless in our weakness. But God has revealed himself, himself to us so we can see. We can see who we are in Jesus. We see him. We see that we have hope. We see that we are his treasure and that we have his power at work. He is working mightily in us and he is wor working mightily through us for the advancement of his king. You see Jesus? I'm telling you, he's awesome. And that's what he intends us to see that we would lift high his name and worship as a church. Father, I'm praying that you would do this in us. We want to be a church that loves you 
We want to be a church that is impressed with you. Lord, we want to experience your resurrection victory in our lives. And we just want to believe that you're working here in Fairfax. Now, forgive us for, uh, for fear, for making little of you and your power and thinking that you can't. You are able to do above and beyond what we ask or imagine. And you deserve all the praise. You deserve all the glory for it. Jesus, we want to be a church that lifts your name high. Thank you for showing us these things. Thank you for showing us that we have hope. We have awesome days ahead of us. And we long for those days. We look forward to those days. But we we realize that right now we are uh, on the wrong side of the door. We long to get in. But the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in. We will experience your hope realized. We will have a rich inheritance in Christ. And thank you that you treasure us. You value us. And you're filling us with your power. God, do it. Do it so that you get the glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.